With that said, uh, we'll now hear today's scripture reading, uh, and then after that, I will be back for today's teaching. Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, several years ago, the talk show host James Corden uh, was doing his bit, Carpool Karaoke. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, the premise of Carpool Karaoke is essentially uh, that he, would drive, he drives around a celebrity as they listen to music and they sing songs. And in one episode, Corden had the first lady at the time, Michelle Obama, in his car. Now, given that she was the first lady, Corden was not going to be allowed to just drive her around anywhere uh, except around the White House lawn. And so they did just that. And as they circled, they came up to the Oval Office. Uh, and as they passed the Oval Office, Michelle Obama says, Ah, that's the Oval Office. My husband's in there. James Corden responds, He's in there right now. And Michelle Obama says, he better be. That's where he said he was. Uh, now, what's great about that exchange is that Barack Obama, this leader, who in many people's eyes is just bigger than life. You know, in many ways, people have lionized him and viewed him as this hero. But even a man of his stature, with all of his influence on history, no matter how big and powerful he was, the dude is just like the rest of us, right? He better be telling his wife the truth about where he is, right? In one sense, he is extraordinary in his position. But in another sense, he's also got a very ordinary life. Now, I, I bring this up because often we do the same kinds of things with biblical figures, Right? We speak of them with this, uh, as those with this great authority, uh, though, as though they were these super Christians with super strength and faith. And in some ways, maybe that's true in various, for various people, but in other ways, they're also 
Barack Obama, meaning they were people who certainly had much responsibility and influence, but also experienced the same kinds of experiences that you and I do every day. They were extraordinary in some ways, but ordinary in life. And now what's also striking about that idea is that the church, in many ways, could be described the same way. The church, in some sense, is this extraordinary community brought together by the, uh, by the saving work of Jesus, by the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. It's extraordinary. But though extraordinary, the church is also a community that is extremely ordinary. In fact, it is the consistency of the ordinary that makes the church extraordinary. And today, I want to show you what I mean by that. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in a series called Marked by Joy. Um, as we've taken a look at the book of Philippians, Philippians being a book that largely centers around the Christian life and what, it ought to, what the Christian's life ought to look like uh, by looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, and today, in this section of the letter, we see the ways that the church is both extraordinary and also, at the same time, ordinary. And I want, us, I want us to see how that is true by looking at the four people that are described here in our passage. Specifically, people that we see here are Paul, Timothy, uh, Epaphroditus, and Jesus. Okay? I want to take a look at those four people. Uh, we're going to set aside Jesus for a little bit which, quite frankly, is a little weird to say, but we're going to set him aside for a minute. Uh, and we're going to take a look first at these three people who may be viewed very much, and rightly so, as these great biblical figures who are immortalized in the Bible. But we're going to see that the kinds of things that they do for each other are actually extremely ordinary and regular things that you and I can be doing as well. That the way that they love and care for each other and others is no more extraordinary than the way that the church has cared for each other all over the course of church history. And so these three individuals are going to show us the true essence of Christian community or the church, each of which emphasizes the extraordinary in the ordinary. And I'll just set this out for you right now. With Paul, he shows us the desire that we ought to have for Christian community. Timothy shows us what happens in Christian community. Epaphroditus shows us the posture that we ought to have toward Christianity or Christian community. And then we'll take a look, finally, at the one who, makes, who is the foundation for Christian community, the one who makes all of that possible. Okay, so first, let's take a look at the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about the Apostle Paul. I will just say up front right now, I won't be saying all that could be said about him since Paul does get talked about quite a bit as an exemplar or someone that we ought to imitate. Uh, but I want to read this passage, but when I read this passage rather, I get this sense that Paul really was just a normal guy who wrestled with loneliness. He missed his friends. He got anxious about losing his friends to death, and he's grateful when his friends don't die. 
Uh, and for me, as I read Paul here, probably more than anything, what you see in Paul is this pastor's heart who longs to be with his congregation. He desires to be in community with them, but because of his circumstances, he can't be there. Now, as we've already said in this series, Paul is currently in prison, and he's su suffering as a result of being in that state. Uh, in, and, and on top of all that, in these times, unlike today, Roman prisoners were not taken care of the way that we uh, often take care of prisoners today. They weren't given food regularly. They weren't given any kind of medicine. Instead, these prisoners were, uh, they had to rely on the care of their friends and their family to come and take care of them. And what we've seen in chapter 1, and we'll again see uh, in chapter 4, is that the Philippian church had sent Paul a monetary gift in order that he could be cared for while he was in prison. And when that gift came, he heard that there were some tensions in the church, which prompted him to then write the letter. Now, again, for me, as your pastor, there's a, certainly a lot of things here that resonate with me. Uh, first, I can say that like Paul with the Philippians, uh, I too am very grateful uh, for the way that uh, you think about and care about and pray uh, for me and my family. We have certainly felt uh, incredibly loved over this time that we've been able to serve uh, as pastors here. Uh, and so this is a bit of a side note, but just I'll say if you call REH your home, uh, thank you. We love you. We're grateful for you. Uh, plus, on top of all of that, in a very limited sense, I also resonate with this longing that Paul has, uh, as I too long to be with you. But of course, because of circumstances, I cannot be. And I heard, uh, I heard one preacher, actually his, he had a clip that went viral this past week uh, about the church being open. Uh, and he, he said, though we can't be together and it, it's hard and it's difficult and wish we could be, uh, it's also important to know that the church is not closed. <laughs> the church is still very open. No virus is stopping us from doing the kinds of things that the church should be doing. Uh, doing ministry, loving our community, loving one another, worshiping together, even though in this form. Uh, it's important just to know we ain't, folk, we ain't closed, uh, but we're certainly open for business in many, in many, uh, in many ways. Um, but what's beautiful about what we see here with Paul, this is the, this is the point, that the gospel has not only led Paul to love the Lord for his saving work, but the gospel has also led Paul to love his brothers and sisters in Christ so much so that he longs to be with them. He's desperate to be with them. It's created a longing and a desire to be in community with those who call Christ Savior. And I wonder, has the gospel formed a longing and an affection in us for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe to put even a sharper point on it, because this is where sometimes it can be most challenging, has the gospel created this love and affection for our brothers and sisters, even though we might interact with those who are very different than us? Right? Those who we might not have anything in common with, except for the fact that we share a faith in the same Savior. I mean, do we have that kind of longing to be in Christian community? Now, Paul was extraordinary, for sure, in many ways. 
But this ought to be just ordinary in the life of the Christian because of the Christian's love for Jesus. It produces this desire to be in community with others who claim the same. And so, again, one of the things to consider as we think about Christian community, the extraordinary and the ordinary, is that we ought to love fellow brothers and sisters, be, to be a part of a church community, to long for it. That's what Paul shows us is a mark of Christian community. Of course, there's another person here in this passage, someone named Timothy. Now, what Timothy shows us is what happens within the Christian community. Now, just a little bit on Paul, I'm sorry, on Timothy. Timothy was Paul's main hang. They did everything together for uh, a, a good portion of their ministry time. They were very close in ministry. Uh, Paul, in verse 22 of our passage, and then we also see this in other places like uh, 1 Timothy, which was a letter that Paul was writing to Timothy. Paul calls Timothy his son. Uh, in other words, Paul was this spiritual father to Timothy. He raised him up in the faith, he pastored him, he discipled him, and eventually put him into ministry as he would, uh, uh, Timothy would be later on pastoring in Ephesus. But what's interesting is not only did, he, did Paul see, him as, uh, see himself as a father, see um, Timothy as a son, but in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul also calls Timothy his brother, which shows the extent to which they were just doing life together regularly. I mean, Paul trusted Timothy in ways he did not trust anyone else, and as a result, as we see in verse 23 here, he intended to send Timothy to Philippi to help uh, the, the Philippians work through some of their issues. Now, again, there's a lot that could be said about this extraordinary, what's extraordinary in the ordinary with Timothy and Paul, but here's the one thing I want to hone in on in particular in regards to the relationship. Uh, specifically, look at uh, verse 22. Let me read that again for us. Verse 22 says, But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. Okay? He served with me. Now to me, the extraordinary in the ordinary is the way that Paul trains and develops Timothy. Paul here shows us what discipleship and development and growth ought to look like. It ought to look like those who are more mature in faith, investing in those who might be less mature in faith, all while doing ministry together, all while doing life together. And as brothers, they were available and willing to care for one another. Let me clarify what I'm saying here. Here's what's striking to me about this idea, and this, this concept, in this passage. And it's something that I've, I've had to come back to numerous times over the years. Is that there ought to be, essentially, three kinds of relationships in every Christian's life. Sometimes those three relationships can be developed and wrapped up all in a single person or a single relationship. But I think more often it reflects relationships that occur within the church. Meaning every Christian really ought to have a father, a son, and a brother, or a mother, a daughter, and a sister kind of relationship with other Christians. And what I mean is every Christian ought to have those who are more mature, investing in them, those who are less mature, 
that they are investing in, and then brothers and sisters that they're just doing life with. I mean, this is one of the reasons that God gives us the church. Within the body of Christ, there ought to be all that is needed to not only help us grow, but to also help others grow and to support one another as we do it together. And I'll, I'll take um, a moment right now to plug community groups because community groups is one of the ways that this could potentially happen. Ideally speaking, in a community group, there are those three kinds of relationships that can develop. It's an opportunity to learn from others who in some ways can help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. It's also an opportunity for us to help others grow in their relationship to Jesus, all while supporting and loving one another in the regular rhythms of life. Now, of course, that doesn't happen exclusively in these kinds of groups, but the development of these kinds of relationships are so important that if they're not happening elsewhere, maybe one of the community groups could be a place to find it. They're so important for our health and our development and our growth and our relationship and walk with Jesus because there's something missing when those relationships aren't present. I feel pretty confident in saying that if one of those three relationships is missing, we feel it. I know for myself, I've had seasons where I wished I'd had someone more mature in the Lord investing in me. Or I know that there's been other times where maybe I have, feeled, I have felt uh, invested in, but I've longed to help others feel the same. Or other times in life where I just, I've been invested in, and I've been investing in others, but I really just, I've wanted a friend or an equal, so to speak, just to do life with in that way, in that, within that Christian community context. I mean, when we don't have it, we feel it. And so the church ought to be a place where these kinds of relationships can develop. And what's extraordinary in the ordinary with Paul and Timothy is that, yes, it seemed like they had this big, crazy, epic relationship. It included multiple letters that would eventually be canonized as scripture that we're reading today. Yet in the end, it was just this intentional relationship, relationship marked by doing life together. And so in Paul, we learn that the gospel ought to lead us to long for and love Christian community, to be a part of it. In Timothy, we learn what it means to develop relationships within that Christian community where we're being invested in, we're investing in others, where we're doing life with each other. Uh, but then the, finally, it's the last, uh, the last person that we see here in this passage, uh, a figure that we don't know much about, we know a little bit, but someone named Epaphroditus. Uh, we don't know a lot, again, about Epaphroditus, but what we do know is just a few things. One, we can gather from verse 25 uh, that he was the one who Paul intended to send back to the Philippians. Uh, we also know, and we can infer, that he's the one that had come to Paul with the monetary gift from Philippi. However, we don't know all the details here, but either on his journey going to Paul or while he was with Paul, he became very sick. And verse 27 tells us that he almost died, uh, but that he recovered. Now, it's at least worth noting as a side note, um, you know, in modern day, we actually tend to get used to this idea of people getting sick and then recovering. 
And while there's certainly uh, horrendous uh, inequities and inefficiencies in our, in our healthcare system, for the most part, many people do have access to just some of the most basic care um, that just did not exist in the ancient world. And so in that time, you just became very accustomed to the fact that if you heard that someone was sick, that meant that they were probably going to die. And Epaphroditus had been so sick that Paul, uh, that by the time Paul was writing this letter, word had actually gotten all the way back to Philippi at how sick Epaphroditus was. And as a result, his church community back in Philippi, they were very worried about him and concerned. All of which, again, we see reflected in this letter. Now, here's why I note all of this. It's because what I want us to see is the extraordinary in the ordinary with Epaphroditus. Let's look at uh, verses 25 and 26. Let me read that for you. It says this, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to care uh, to take care of my needs. Verse 26. He longs for you, for all of you. Sorry. <laughs> Let me reread that. Verse 26. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard, uh, because you heard that he was ill. He longs for you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. I mean, do you see what's interesting about what's going on there? Epaphroditus is so concerned that the church was concerned about him that he wanted to go back as soon as possible to ensure that they knew that he was okay. Right? So his concern was not so much for himself, but rather the concerns of those whom he loved, those whom he had called to serve, those who loved him. And what's extraordinary in the ordinary uh, is simply what's taking place there. That when we truly are in this loving church community, that this love is what shapes uh, how we understand our needs and the, the needs of others. I mean, this kind of love means that more often than not, we will put others' needs above our own. And that's not to say that our needs aren't important, but we will care deeply about the concerns and the burdens of others when we've been uh, embraced and welcomed into this kind of church community. It's extraordinary, but it's also incredibly ordinary. I mean, think about it. For those, I know for myself, for those that I love most in the world, it would not be um, even a question as to what I'd be willing to give up for them. You know, Jesus talks about how greater love has no man than the one who would lay down his life for his friends. And while most of us will never have to lay down our lives for each other. I know that for those who I love most in the world, I would gladly lay down my life. I mean, that is the kind of relationship that happens when you are in a deep, loving, caring relationship with others, even within the church. And again, while we're likely not going to ever have to lay down our lives for someone, we certainly will have to, at times, put others' needs before our own. And this happens even within the church, and ought to happen within the church. Now, what's interesting is, uh, and beautiful, it's next week, uh, we get to do something really exciting. 
uh, which is that for the first time, we will be welcoming in new church members um, as they'll be taking public vows, and that'll be part of this uh, service that we'll have. And those vows are woven into our service because uh, we, we desire for that kind of commitment to be in front of the congregation. Uh, it's why we do it because church membership for us really matters. And the reason being is that you know, church membership, the word membership, is actually not a really great word. We often associate membership with things like the gym or Costco or something. It's transactional, it's consumeristic. Uh, but church membership is actually a covenant promise. Uh, much like in a marriage, we commit to one another that we, to the best of our ability, we will care for each other, that we will identify with each other's joys and sorrows, that we will lift each other up uh, before the Lord, that we will commit to being on mission together. And we do all of that in the context of a worship gathering because it is uh, the new members, it's a way for the new members to say, to other members of the church, I am committed to you and to the con this congregation. And of course, current members uh, are there to welcome in those who are now making this commitment to one another. I mean, it's a serious but beautiful commitment that's being made. And what we see is with Epaphroditus, what he shows us is what church membership ought to look like. I mean, here, again, we're seeing his deep concern for his fellow congregants, that they have this deep concern about him. And because of his love and commitment to them, he cannot wait to get back to them, just so that they know that he's okay. And the extraordinary in the ordinary here is the extraordinary commitments that are being made in the church through the ordinary means of keeping these covenant promises to care for one another. And as with uh, the other people that we've considered already, I do ask you the extent to which you've made such commitments to your church and to the people of that church. Because while it is extraordinary, it is also the ordinary way that God seeks to care for his people by putting them into relationship with others who can care for them and to keep these covenant promises. Okay, so to quickly recap, Paul shows us what it means to long for and love this Christian community. Timothy shows us what ought to happen within the Christian community and how we uh, help each other grow. And Epaphroditus shows us the posture that we ought to have stepping into Christian community, to step in with uh, these covenant promises. All of this, however, leads us to one of the most fundamental and important elements of Christian community, which of course is the basis for how all of this can happen, how this desire for Christian community happens, how this posture is even pos uh, possible. All of this leads us to the foundation for Christian community. And of course, it's Jesus who's that foundation. You know, each of these men did not create these elements of Christian community on their own. Rather, each of them learned from and were shaped by the one who fully and completely embodied this kind of community. In a way, uh, in, in many ways, Jesus is the greater Paul in that Jesus also des desired to be with us. And he did so by 
coming. In John 1, it says that he dwelt among us. I mean, like Paul, Jesus longed to be in community, but even greater still. He stepped from where he was in the, the glories of heaven, came to dwell among us because he longed for that kind of relationship. In many ways, Jesus is the, the greater Timothy for Jesus fully embodied what ought to happen within Christian community. I mean, what we see is that he submitted to uh, the Father, his spiritual Father in heaven, while also investing in the growth of his followers, while also doing life with them and even calling them his friends. In a greater sense, Jesus is the greater Timothy who embodies what Christian community ought to look like and be. And in a way greater than Epaphroditus, Jesus embodied covenant relationship in seeking the good of his people by putting our needs above his own, even to the point of laying down his life for us. I mean, we desire Christian community, the church, because Christ desired to be in communion with us. We can experience depths of relationship in community because Jesus first established our ability to experience that community. And we can make covenant promises to care for one another because our Savior first kept his covenant promises to us. And so what I hope we see is that the ordinary aspects of Christian community are truly extraordinary because Jesus, our Savior, established and embodied these aspects of community. And when we embrace and engage Christian community, know that Jesus is there. And it, it, what, in what can seem like the most, uh, most mundane elements of Christian life, we trust that Jesus, what Jesus has done, as a result of what he has done, he makes it he makes the ordinary extraordinary just by his mere presence. And so church, I pray that we take Christian community seriously for Jesus is here and desires to do much in us and through us in this community. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, you are a God who desires to be in relationship with us. Uh, and in order to make that possible, uh, you sent your Son to fully and embody what this community ought to be. Uh, for Jesus came to dwell among us. Jesus came to uh, be among us and uh, help us grow in the ways that he taught and the ways that he lived. Um, but also, as a result of the co him keeping covenant promises, we're even able to be in relationship with you. Now, for all of these things, God, we give you praise. And I pray that would lead us to a deeper desire to be in relationship uh, with your people, with the church. Would you help us by your spirit to care for one another, to be present with one another in the ways that you've called us to be. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.